All right, good morning, Three Circle Church, and we have all of our campuses joining us right now, and those online, great to be with you today as we kick off a brand new series. Before we do that, I wanna remind everyone we're in the middle of an initiative, the Glory and Good Initiative, and it's all about what God is doing through our church at every single one of our campuses. This is a financial commitment initiative that we all are part of, including me and my family. I wouldn't ask you to do something we're not doing. And so next weekend is our commitment weekend, and it's where we kind of all go, hey, here's what we're planning to do. Here's what we feel led to do. And I'm very excited because every single campus from Robertsdale to Fairhope to Daphne to Midtown to Thomasville, all of our campuses will be touched by this initiative. And we hope that you'll be a part of it. And we hope that God does great things through it. So next weekend, again, don't forget Commitment Sunday. We hope all of you will be a part of that. Now, today we're kicking off this series called Tumbleweed. Why in the world are we talking about tumbleweeds? Well, what we're gonna find out is that God wants more for us. We are saved as people of God for more than just being blown around by the wind. And I think there's way too much of us just being blown wherever the wind blows, going wherever the wind takes us, going wherever the culture takes us, going wherever the news takes us, wherever this takes us, wherever that. We parent the way the wind blows. We do marriage the way the wind blows. We do sexuality wherever the wind blows, where the culture goes. And what we're gonna find in the book of Ephesians is that God has called us to greater than that and empowered us to more than that. So what I wanna do is, I wanna tell you kind of the layout of the series before we get started. So we're gonna be looking at Ephesians chapter four. So we're gonna look at one chapter in the book of Ephesians and we're gonna walk really slowly and here's how we're gonna do it. We're gonna go verse by verse through this one chapter of Ephesians because it's so power packed. And the way the structure of this chapter works is right in the middle of the chapter, like a hinge on two doors, are these two verses that really encapsulates it. Everything leads up to this middle couple of verses and then everything follows from them. And we're gonna read those in just a moment and it's gonna tell you to not live the tumbleweed life, all right? And, and the reason we're gonna walk slowly through this chapter is there's so much there. I, I grew up with this dog, so when I was a, when I was a kid, I love the movie Old Yeller. Do we have any Old Yeller fans out there? It's not Old Yellow. It's Old Yeller, all right? And so this dog, Old Yeller, was, that was a black mouth cur, by, by the way. The breed of dog was a black mouth cur. And as a kid, I grew up on farm and all this. We had land and, and I was like, I want, I want a dog like Old Yeller. And I go to a church camp and come home and my dad and my grandfather have gone out and gotten a black mouth cur puppy. And of course we named it not Old Yellow, but what? Come on, help me out. Oh, yeah, right? And let me tell you what Old Yeller would do, okay? This dog was so smart. This was the most awesome dog. My grandmother out in front of her house had these rose bushes, little thorny rose bushes, right? And this dog figured out that it could walk very slowly through the rose bushes and, it would, and they would scratch his belly, and he loved it. And so, so we would sit on the porch for hours. We've got video and photos of this and the dog would walk up really happy and then it was amazing, like it would go into a trance and then it would walk really slowly through the rose bushes. You can see, oh, this feels so good, okay? Now, you're going, why are you telling me this story? Because that's what we're gonna do for the next four weeks through the book of Ephesians chapter four, okay? 
We're going to walk real slow through it instead of blowing through it. We want to get every word, every morsel. We want to get everything good out of this amazing chapter. Are y'all with me? So, so like, like the rose bushes for our dog, we're going to let, we're going to let this scratch our spiritual belly. Okay, here we go. Let me read to you these hinge verses. This is what this series is based on, Ephesians 4, 13 through 14. Paul's talking, and in the middle of the chapter, he says, until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes, all right? So what we see here is this hinge verse, and what this, what this does, Ephesians 4, is it gives us a prescription for avoiding what we're gonna call a tumbleweed life. That's what this does. It's saying, we, I've called you to more than this, and the rest of the chapter tells you how to avoid being blown around by the wind. And once again, I just see even, again, I can't, I can't make the world do anything. But what we can do as Christians is go, now how, this is how we're gonna operate. This is how the local church is going to operate. And God is saying to his people in Ephesus, because all eyes were on that church in Ephesus. Paul wrote this to that church. And that was a city that was a very cosmopolitan ancient city and there's a lot of stuff going on and they worshiped a sex goddess and there was a lot of stuff and this church became a dynamic church and Paul was telling that local church, hey, the wind of culture is going to blow. It's gonna want you to compromise. It's gonna want you to acquiesce and you can't do it. And, and, and do you know what's interesting is his way of getting the church to stand strong was not to get them to watch certain news channels, listen to certain podcasts, get real loud on their local uh, Ephesus Facebook page, because they had one of those, of course. No, what it was was all about rooting their lives in Christ so that they would not be blown around by the wind. Tumbleweeds. Let's talk about tumbleweeds for a second. Because tumbleweeds are exactly what Paul says not to be. He says, don't be blown around by the wind. That's what tumbleweeds are. Now, I grew up watching Westerns. How many of you are Westerns fans? How many of you, if Tombstone comes on TV, you will stop everything you're doing and watch the entire movie? I'm that guy. I grew up watching John Wayne movies. And one thing that is ubiquitous on all Westerns is at some point a tumbleweed's gonna roll by. You can't have a Western without tumbleweeds. But do you know that tumbleweeds actually are not native to the Western United States? They're native to Russia. And they came here somehow, we're not sure how, but they showed up in the West and our arid uh, environment out West supports them really well. Now let me tell you how a tumbleweed works and how this series came about. I've been looking at this verse for a long time devotionally and I thought, what a powerful verse where Paul says, stop being immature, stop being like children and being blown around by the wind. Cause you know, kids just kind of go wherever and that's cute when you're three, it's weird when you're 27. He's like, you gotta grow up. Stop being blown around by the wind. So I'm watching this uh, Discovery Channel thing one day and tumbleweeds come on. They're talking about tumbleweeds. And they begin to explain tumbleweeds, which I will now uh, give to you the explanation. They grow out west and everything looks just fine. A little bush starts to grow. But the thing is they have little bitty root systems. Like their root system is, is like basically non-existent. It might as well not even be there. That's how thin and ineffective their roots are. 
And the little stem that comes out of the ground, there's basically nothing to it. And what happens is that little stem is just fine when there's not much there. But as we all know, tumbleweeds grow fast and they get real big. And suddenly in that windy environment, the wind blows. And as soon as that tumbleweed gets big enough to catch that wind, it snaps that little stem. It snaps that little root system that never was much to it anyway. And as soon as that root system snaps, that tumbleweed goes wherever the wind takes it. It's totally random. In fact, we've got people on our staff that moved here from New Mexico and they would have them blow into their yard. Like they say that these things can get big enough and so many of them, it'll mess up highways, it'll mess up your yard, just blowing all over the place. And the other thing I learned in this special is that when they start rolling, that's when they really do their damage because that's when they throw out their seeds. And there's no rhyme or reason. As the wind blows, seeds are just going everywhere. So not only... Does that one little tumbleweed go wherever it goes? It also spreads its disease randomly, just wherever the wind takes it. It's, it's, it's growing other tumbleweeds everywhere it goes. It's just a random mess. And that's what often the church looks like today. If we're not careful, our local church would just be blown around by the wind, like wherever culture goes. And if you're not careful as an individual, as a married person if you're in a marriage, as a single person, as an individual. If you've got children, if you're not careful, you will be blown by the wind. And whatever's popular right now, you'll do that. And you'll just, you'll just roll with it, however the wind blows. And Paul warns us about the kind of winds that blows. Let's look at that verse again. He says, here are the four things. If you're not careful, you will be blown around by doctrine, Wrong doctrine, by the way. The church of Ephesus, one of its main attacks against it was false doctrine. And I've been in ministry long enough to see good Jesus-loving Christians that fall for snake oil, man. Because some person wrote some new book. I mean, I've lived long enough to remember everybody thought Jesus was coming back in 1984 because a guy wrote a book about it. And then when he didn't, he wrote the next book, the next bestseller called I Was Wrong, He's Coming in 1985. By 1988, everybody stopped buying his books. And we'll just fall for this. If someone is persuasive enough, if someone's loud enough, if someone's got enough TV viewers, now it'd be enough Instagram viewers, whatever. We'll just fall for, oh, isn't that great? And it's like, no, 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 we, we gotta have a test here to know what we believe. Paul says, watch out. You need to know what you believe, your doctrine. Don't be blown around by any old doctrine. Not by human cunning. Don't let personalities or especially culture, listen, culture, human cunning, culture comes from humanity. Don't let it get you. It can look so persuasive. Well, come on. Can't we do sexuality this way? Come on. I know what the Bible says. It's an ancient book. Hey, you go at the, begin to attack the authority of God's word. Watch out. That's a wind that'll blow. Watch out for craftiness. I don't know about you, but marketing is very crafty. I'll be totally fine with my car until I see that great ad telling me that if I had that car, you know, I'd have a cool dog and my life would be great. I mean, you know how they set it up. I mean, when I was a kid, I believed that if I had Wrangler jeans, I could throw a ball like Brett Favre. I'm like, if I could just get those Wranglers, I'd have an old truck out in the woods with a couple of Labrador retrievers and all my buddies would meet me randomly out in the woods and throw the football around because that's what Brett Favre's Wrangler commercial said. You know, that's not true. I got to tell you, it's not true. That's not how it works. But we get blown around by the wind, by deceitful schemes. Now, what are the deceitful schemes? That's our enemy. Satan is constantly trying to deceive the church, 
constantly trying to make us believe, contrary to what God has told us. So what, what Paul's doing for Ephesus and for three circle, if you will, and all of us joining here today is this. He's saying, get rooted. Don't be a tumbleweed. Don't do it. Tumbleweed life has no roots, no purpose, no direction, no community, and no commitment. And we're going to see over the next four weeks that Paul's going to go at every one of these. He's going to say, I want to help you, Church of Ephesus, and three circle, and all Bible-believing, Jesus-loving, gospel believing churches to have roots, to have purpose, to have direction, to have community and have commitment because those things build a stem, a root for our lives that keep us from being blown around by the wind. So in these first verses that we will read every week during the series, we're reminded by him, don't be immature. Root yourself so you're not blown around by the wind. And now what we're gonna do is begin to walk. Remember, we're gonna walk slowly through the rose bush. Can y'all just see that dog? What a brilliant dog. You know, one day he's like, they don't rub my belly enough. So I'm gonna do it for myself. And he figured it out. And so what we're gonna do is just walk real slow through Ephesians and get everything we can. So what you're gonna see is the first part of Ephesians is gonna lead up to these verses we just read. They're like a hinge on two doors. And let's look at the first half. We're gonna read it together as a passage and then we'll walk slowly through it. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. That's the first part of this chapter. Let's walk slowly through it. The first thing we see is Paul begins to use this language to, to keep us from being a tumbleweed blown around. He says, you need to remember your calling. Your calling. Look at 4.1. I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. The first word that jumps off the page to me, here's the word urge. In the Greek, it's literally beg. He is begging. So he would say to us today, I am begging you to stop being blown around. He would look at parents today at three circle and he would say, I am begging you to stop letting the winds of popular parenting blow you around. You do not want to raise normal kids, actually, because normal in this world is not biblical. He would say to us, raise different kids. In fact, he might would say, I want your kids to be a little weird compared to everybody else. Stop being blown around by the wind. Because it's weird in this society to go, hey, my kids are going to be a part of a ministry that teaches them the word of God, and that's going to be a higher priority than anything to us. And the rest of the world goes, what? What do y'all do? Why is that a big deal? I mean, we'll go when we can, but we're making it a priority? Come on. Come on. My kid's a baseball star. My kids, I want my kid to be popular. And, and if you begin to raise your kid in a different way, it's going to look different. And I think Paul would look at us and say, I'm begging you to do that. 
I think he would look at marriages and say, I am begging you to submit to the authority of God in your marriage instead of doing marriage like everyone else. Instead of looking for an exit sign, instead of believing what someone told you that you could find the perfect person, right person, that you had a soul made out there, that is all modern garbage. You don't marry the right person. You marry the person that God leads you to. And then the two of you who are both really broken people always begin under the authority of God to build a beautiful marriage. Do you see how that's different? Let's just pull all the Hollywood hocus pocus out of this thing, man. Don't, because too many people, they get in a marriage and they have their first fight and they look for the exit sign. They go, oh my gosh, Oprah told me years ago that I had a soulmate. I think I missed it because you're really hard to deal with. Hello, you married a human. You brought a human home. So the culture tells you, well, keep looking. And the Bible gives you a totally different way. And Paul looks at the people of Ephesus and he says to them, that church, he says, I'm begging you, stop acting like kids. I'm begging you, get to know the word. I'm begging you, don't be pulled around by this wind. I'm begging, urge. And then he uses this phrase, walk worthy. Walk worthy. The word walk in the New Testament always means live. This word worthy is a Greek word called axios. Everyone say axios. The idea of axis. The word literally comes from the idea of ancient scales. Can y'all get that in your mind everywhere? You just kind of think about what those scales look like, right? You got one on each side. What Paul is saying here is not, so just think about the word picture. They would have gotten it, his original audience. He's saying, there's too many of us who are Christians and our scales look like this. Jesus has done something for us and declared something over us. We're called children of God now. We're called the sons and daughters of the Almighty. We're called the redeemed. But the problem is our lives don't look like that. Our lives are still just being blown around everywhere by whatever wind comes around. And Paul says, so we're not in axios. We're not, the scales aren't even. Now he's not saying that you've got to pay God back. That's not what he's saying. He's not talking about that. He's talking about, are you in alignment? Does the weight of what God has done in your life, is it actually showing up? Are you living in a way that actually looks like, hey, I, God has done this for me and look at how I live. The two are in alignment, axios. It means we live in practical alignment with what God has declared over us. When you became a Christian, just like these people in Ephesus, God said, you now are perfect. Now, how many of you are perfect? Well, God says you are. So in a, watch this, in a positional sense, you are. You do know that if you're a Christian, your sins were nailed to the cross in Christ. That is a gospel truth. Just breathe that in. Isn't that good? Remember, just walk slowly through that rose bush. The problem is though, Paul says, hey, every day you wake up, you've got a choice. Are you gonna live in that reality? Are you gonna live in a way that is axios, that is worthy of the calling by which you've been called? That calling is what God has said over you, that you're his son, that you're his daughter, that you have been empowered to live this way, a new way, a different way, that you do have a root system if you'll just grab onto it, that you don't have to be blown around by the wind. That's what he is saying. 
Do you live walking away? In fact, Paul said this a lot. Look over at Philippians. He said basically the same thing. Philippians 1.27. He says, only let your manner, the only thing that's different is the word. Now he's saying manner, how I live. Your manner of life, let it be worthy of the gospel. There's that word axios again. Worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or I am absent, I will hear of you, that you're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. What Paul's saying is to the church of Philippi and the church of Ephesus, and I gotta believe he had say it to the church of three circles, he's saying, I want you, I am begging you to grow up, to stop being weak, to stop being immature, to stop being blown around and get some roots about you and get some roots that can handle the wind that's going to blow. The next thing we see in verse two of Ephesians four is attitude. The first thing he says is, let's get some axios here. Let's live like we actually believe this stuff. Let's talk like we actually believe it. And in verse two, he continues and he says, that's gonna affect our attitude. And the attitude of mature believers not being blown around like a tumbleweed, is this, humility and gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. Now we see several important things here that we need to unpack. First of all, we see humility. He says the first thing that you will see about a Christian that's not a tumbleweed, they look different, you'll begin to see humility. Humility. Humility, by the way, biblically, is thinking of yourself less not thinking less of yourself. So this whole false humility thing, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, amen. There's nothing good about me at all. Well, that's, that's just not true. Jesus told us we're sons and daughters. You're now a child of the most high. And by the way, every one of you are gifted in amazing ways. You're made in the image of God. Humility is when I think of myself less. Literally, I put others before me. It's not downgrading myself and acting like I'm nothing but a dirty old worm. No, no, no. The idea is, yes, I know my standing in Christ, but I am going to think of you first because that's what's required for us to be able to be a church in unity is it can't be all about me. And and my marriage can't be all about me. And raising my children, it can't be all about me. And when I do what I do publicly in the world, it can't be all about me. I've got to think of myself less. Not less of myself, think of myself less. Paul says this is a requirement to be rooted. The next thing we see is gentleness. Gentleness in the Bible is power under control. Now, a lot of times, to be honest about it, guys don't like this one. And, And I never liked this one. When the Bible said gentleness, I always thought, I don't like that. You know, because I grew up in the 80s and 90s. I grew up with Sylvester Stallone. I wanted to be Rambo. Gentle? I I didn't want anyone to say, you know what, Chris Bell, he is gentle. No, don't say that. No, say I'm a warrior. But then you realize, wait, wait a minute. One of the things they said about Jesus is that he was gentle. What is gentle? Gentle is not weak. That's what I had to understand. Gentle is unbelievable power when it's under Control. In fact, it's the greatest show of strength and maturity. Manhood, adulthood, womanhood. Maturity is when you've got the strength, you've got the ability, you've got the influence, and you can control it. You know what's easy and weak to lose your temper? Losing your temper is easy. It's weak. It's immature. 
That's what I've learned in being a dad. The times that I snap and I lose and I just vent and get it all out, I ended up having to come back and apologize to everybody. How many of you have ever had to repent to your family? Okay, don't leave me hanging. Some of you are just lying. You need to repent right now. Y'all have. I've had to look at my family and go, I blew that. I overreacted. And I always realized, you know what I just did? I just had myself a little temper tantrum. I don't have to put up with this. I'm the one bringing the bacon around here, putting a roof over your head and you're gonna listen to me and all that stuff. Don't you always feel so small after you act like that? You act so big, but in the end, kind of like a tumbleweed. You look so impressive. You got a root system like that. You're immature. You just go wherever the wind blows, wherever your emotions took you that day. Gentleness is when you go, hey, I'm the strongest person in the room and I don't have to act like that. You know who modeled that for us? Of course, Jesus. Here's one that's really hard for me, patience. Paul says, we're gonna have to develop this in our lives, patience. I, I, that's one of my hardest ones. Patience means I have a long fuse, by the way. That's what that means, a long fuse, not a short one. It takes a lot to get you going because you are patient. That's so hard. I want things now, I like microwaves. Now, 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 I am impatient. In fact, we, we did this personality thing recently with this great company that does them. And this guy told me, he said, you are in the top 1% of all humans. You're in the top 1% for being driven and like waking up every day and wanting to get stuff done. And I was like, oh, he goes, hang on. He said, you're in the bottom 1% of humans on earth. And he really wanted me to get this point. He said, so if you take all the humans on earth, Chris, 99% of them are better than you at this. I was like, what? Patience. You are impatient? And I thought, this is, this is not right. You guys blew it. You guys, your, your whole program's messed up. No way until I asked my family and they were like, yep, nailed it. <laughs> I gotta develop this in my life if I'm not careful because if I'm impatient, I'll be blown around by the wind and then forbearance, forbearance, that's what he says. He says bearing with one another, that's the idea of forbearance. It means I love people when it's hard, not just when it's easy. It's easy to love people when they're your friends and everybody gets along, but it's those people and we all have them in our lives Preachers do too, I promise you. There's people in our lives that just suck the life out of you. Have you ever been, you know those people, right? You hang around them five minutes and you leave and you go, why am I so tired? I'm so tired. And you realize, oh, I was with that person. Or when they call, you see the name and even, you haven't even started talking to them and you're like, the life begins to leave you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You love them, it's not that you don't love them, but it's how you treat those people. It's how you treat, the Bible says, your enemies. How you treat people who are hard to love. That's when you see if you've really got good roots. Jesus was awesome to Peter and the 12 disciples. He also washed Judas's feet. He also was kind to Pilate and respectful. He also treated Pharisees. I mean, he got on them pretty good, but you know, he and Nicodemus had a great conversation. I mean, he, he modeled all this for us. In fact, Philippians 2, 7 and 8 points us right at Jesus. If you want to see what it looks like to not be a tumbleweed, not be blown around, it's Jesus. It says Jesus in Philippians 2, 7, emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, 
being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Jesus was willing to give of himself, to root himself in obedience to his father. That's why we can do the same. In verse three, Ephesians 4, three, it goes on and, and it turns us to this idea of unity. It says, if we're gonna be a, a strong church and not be a tumbleweed church, it's gonna require something. If we're gonna complete the mission of Jesus, which I hope we all want to do and have an impact on our communities, it's gonna require unity. Ephesians 4, three, we should be eager. That means that we should want this. There should be something inside of me that desires to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Christians need unity. Now let's talk about what that means. Number one, we should be eager for it. So is that even something you want? Do you desire to see churches that love Jesus and teach the gospel to be strong and unified and together? Well, what does that even mean? Well, the first thing I want you to see is the word maintain here, not manufacture. Because you can't create unity, by the way. Just know that the Bible never says we create it. It says we maintain it. What does maintain mean? It means someone else did it and you and I are supposed to keep it. You see that? Maintain's different. Maintain is something that only God can call us to do, but we can't do it on our own. And this means unity is supernatural. That's what that means. That means that that the church in Ephesus is just like the church today. We are not all the same. It's why it's so astounding. If I were to take a poll of this room, this room would be different in all of our rooms that are joining us right now and those online. If you put us all in one room together, we would see that it makes no sense. We don't all like the same stuff. We don't all like to eat the same stuff. It's not an affinity group. We don't all dress the same way. We don't even like the same songs. You can tell that we don't like the same songs because if you're in one of our rooms, you'll see some people singing real loud on some songs, some people like this. And then a song they like comes on and they'll come alive and the other's like, man, I don't really like this one. Because we're all different, right? Only God can do what we do in a church. When we attempt to manufacture it, unity becomes this other thing that the Bible doesn't call us to, uniformity. Uniformity is not what the Bible calls us to. Where we want everybody to look the same. That's easy. What, what we would do if we were gonna do uniformity is we would say, hey, everybody at three circle, here's what we're gonna do from now on. We're all gonna wear the same clothes. We're all gonna have the same hairdos. We're all gonna listen to the same music. And, and let me tell you why uniformity is not, not great. Because uniformity is actually so much easier than unity. It's easy. It, it means that we just look the same. See, Unity requires God's power, but uniformity we can accomplish on our own. We don't even need his help. We just all look the same. Unity is deep. Uniformity is shallow. You can take a school that makes everyone wear uniforms, and I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying, though, you do that all you want. They're all still different. Yeah, but at least they look the same. Okay, cool. They're still all different. They're different. You just have uniformity. You don't have unity. You can wear the same uniform and not be in unity. Have you ever watched an NFL team? They got the same helmets and the same uniform and then watch them on the sideline when they become disunified? Yeah, it can happen real fast. At the end of the day, unity points to God's glory. Uniformity points to our ability. So I don't want uniformity. God never called. There's not a single church in the New Testament 
that they all looked alike. It was astounding. It blew the Roman Empire's mind that you could have these churches. Back then, it was a class system. People had a lot of money, would eat from the same table as people who had hardly any. And people who were Jews would hang out with people who were Gentiles and eat at the same table. And you had rich people and poor people. And you even had ex-criminals hanging out with people who had done everything right. Like it didn't make sense. The Roman Empire did not know what to do with this thing. And they're like, how do y'all even do that? It doesn't make sense. And it's still the church still doesn't make sense to this day, by the way. How in the world can a group of people as diverse as us actually come together? But that's what God points us to. In the book of Acts 1.14, it tells us that the early church, they were all in one accord. One accord obviously doesn't mean they all looked alike. No, what was alike? They were devoted to prayer. They had something that was holding them together. And what is that thing that holds us together today that keeps us from being tumbleweed churches and tumbleweed people? Because what I want to tell you at the end of the day is if you're not careful, you will blow wherever the wind blows you. And the winds of this culture will blow harder and harder. And I'm going to offer to you that the most important thing you can do is root yourself in Christ first and then his church. You need to be a part of a local church. And I'm going to be so firm on this today that I'm going to tell you it everywhere. If, you, if three circle doesn't feel like the place for you, leave. But go find another church. That's how much I care about you. If you can't root here, find somewhere you can. Because what I want you to do is become mature in Christ. Does that make sense? Find a good Bible-believing church that, you, that, that you're like, I can, I can get in there and root down. I hope you'll stay here and root down because that's what is going to require us coming together. Look at, look at Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, our last piece of the section today. This is what we come around. There's one body, one spirit. Just as you were called, to one hope, he's going to say one seven times, that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father over all, who is over all and through all and in all. So what is it that unifies us if we don't look alike, don't listen to the same music? It's what we believe. It's who we follow, and it's who gives us our commands. That's what it is. Unity is when a whole bunch of different boats are floating on the same water of gospel truth. In World War II, one of the greatest feats in military history took place when Winston Churchill realized that the army, which was a mix at the time of French and British troops, were trapped on an area known as Dunkirk. 350,000 men were about to be crushed by the German army that was closing in on them on the French coast. Across the channel sat England, who did not have what they needed to pull this off. Their carriers were too heavy to get into the shallow waters off of Dunkirk, and the ones that were there were stuck because of the shallow water. And these 300,000-person army was about to be destroyed, and it was going to tip World War II in the wrong direction. Winston Churchill made a call. He raised up the regular people of Britain, and he said, anyone who has a boat, we need you to help us rescue these guys. Anybody that has a boat. And what ended up happening is ferry boats and fishing boats and sailboats and commercial boats and little tugboats. In fact, over 600 different boats in nine days rescued 300,000 troops. You want to know what unity looks like? Unity looks just like this. What do you see?
home. unity looks like it looks like a whole bunch of different people floating in the same water the gospel moving in the same direction mission commands of God and going to the same destination trying to be mature in Christ that if we can stay right there we believe the same gospel we take our orders from the same Lord and we want to be like him if we can do that a bunch of different people we can avoid an accidental happenstance tumbleweed life as a church and as individuals. That's my hope and prayer for us today. Jesus, I thank you. And even as we sing this song again, proclaiming this truth, I pray that you'll be glorified at every campus and every living room and back porch where people are joining us and here today. Be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.